Let us pray. Father God, as we come before your word this morning, we acknowledge the fact that you testify that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Let this word cut us. Allow it to break the stony places in our heart. Allow us to receive the peace of Christ this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Martin Luther once said, If the gospel was received in peace by everyone, it wouldn't be a true gospel. Let me repeat that once again. If the gospel was received in peace by everyone, if everyone looked at it and said, oh yes, I want this, it wouldn't be a true gospel. Because while Christmas is a day where we can sing a hymn that states, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. There is one lyric in that hymn which is not biblically true. God's mercy isn't mild. Actually, I think you've missed a big part of the Christmas story if you convince yourself mercy is mild. I would actually venture to say that one of the biggest theological problems in my lifetime in the American church is they've been inculcated with the Christmas story in such a way that uh, they basically look at God's mercy in this evening and they think of it as mild and wimpy. And they imagine mercy as such a thing. While mild flavors are often popular with the general masses, especially in our chili cook-off this year at Old Goshenhofen, <laughs> Christmas is a much more divisive story. It is not some mild entrance of our God into the world, but it's actually meant to be a wake-up call for humanity. While for most, Christmas conjures up visions of yuletide comfort, nostalgic carols, crackling hearths, families gathered together, the nativity stands apart as not just some sentimental moment, but shock therapy for the world. A shock therapy that the world needed to have and God needed to take such dramatic measures in order for us to be saved. Christmas is when we acknowledge the fact that God's physical presence crashed into world history, establishing his kingdom at the breakdown of theirs. Against all other authorities of truth, supplanting all other empires, all other philosophies, all other religions, we can see this conflict between the world's ideas and the breaking in of Jesus into history in the very first verse of our passage this evening. Here was Caesar Augustus. If you don't know about Caesar Augustus, he was the grandson of Julius Caesar. He was, uh, by all means, in one sense, the most beloved of Caesars in Roman history. Actually, the idea of the Pax Romana, the Roman period of peace, came from Caesar Augustus. 
came from this Caesar who, in the delight of his power and, his, and to acknowledge his own acclaim, wanted his entire empire to be counted. This is the moment Jesus comes. Caesar Augustus also was the Caesar that implemented the Caesar worship, the Caesar cult, the kind of worship that the early martyrs of the Christian faith would not give into, would not offer worship to, and so they would die a martyr's death. Caesar Augustus, while he knew well enough not to proclaim himself to be a god, made sure that his grandfather, Julius Caesar, was considered a god. And if there was any doubt he wanted to be a god, he covered the empire in these chiseled out stone walls, almost a little bit like the kind that we would see at the Vietnam Memorial down in D.C., but all clad in white. And it would talk about all his achievements and all his glory and all his grandeur and all that he's done for Roman society and all he's done to, to create this great power and this great empire in his day. And people loved it. People loved the Roman peace. Actually, he was the Caesar that came up with the idea of just give the people bread and give the people sports. Give them circus and give them a bread. Because, you know, if you have your Eagles football and you have a good hoagie, what else do you need in this world? Just give it to them. And so this was just a wonderful time. Even the people that Rome conquered often loved to be citizens of Rome during this time. They strove and they strided in order to receive the blessing that it was to be called a Roman citizen. And the Bible says of this time in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, that Jesus strikes and Jesus reaches into the world. And Jesus comes into Christmas at this very moment, seeing this as the fullness of time, as the very best time to come into the world. Because Jesus wanted to challenge the world's ideas of peace. The world's definitions of what is good, what is noble, what do you need in this world in order to be happy. And it's more than just a bread and a circus. It's more than just a hoagie and a sporting event. You need a better king. You need better than Caesar Augustus's of the world. And so that is at the heart of the beginning of this verse that we know so well of the coming of the conflict of Christ into the world. And so in one sense, Christmas is an announcement of which ruler do you want to serve? Which ruler do you want to be counted by? Do you want to be counted by the world's leaders? Or do you want to be a subject of this newborn king? Are you tired of the world system of peace? Are you tired of the world's standard of good? Then come to the manger. Come to the manger. Now I'm sure some of you this evening are here and you are perfectly content to not be counted by Jesus. But you proudly wear the decoration, maybe, maybe meekly here, but wear the decoration of a citizen of the world. Christianity is likely a yoke to you that you have no interest in putting on. You maybe even came here with a great resolve that I know better than what this pastor will say. 
to waste too much into thinking about this baby in the manger. You have eyes to see what this moment is about. You think us believers are delusional, gullible, out of touch with reality, brainwashed, believers in fairy tales, weak, we need crutches, ignorant and anti-scientific. We might uh, really be into the worldliness of our day and say, you believe that religion poisons everything. It's an enemy to human progress. Uh, believers are just gullible sheep. The church is just a bunch of hypocrites. And, and this is just a false hope. And religion often creates hatred and violence and oppression. Or more likely, if you came here not bowing the knee to the baby in the manger, you believe a combination of these things this evening. You know better than to take Christmas too seriously. You've come here unashamed on Caesar's ledger and not on Christ. And I don't say that because I enjoy being divisive. But one day sooner than last, I'm going to stand before that judge. That one man who was a baby, now enthroned on heaven on high. And he will judge me more harshly than all those gathered if I would not speak honestly to the fact of who he is and what he has done. And so I have to warn you that it matters what ledger you are on in this world. It matters if you're on the ledger of the worldly or the ledger of the family of the living God. Let me illustrate what I'm getting at this way. At Christmas time and in this sanctuary, everyone's having an encounter with Jesus. And yet, in this encounter with Jesus that the variety of us are having tonight, we're either an innkeeper or we're a shepherd. The innkeeper has an encounter with the mother of God, and he would not let the mother of God give birth to God in his house. He would not let this baby into his place of business. The creator of the world, this innkeeper could not create room for him. Whereas the shepherds, on the other hand, they were despised people. They were flawed people. Deeply um, disdained people in their society. And yet, they had the opportunity to come. To come and behold. And so they came before the Lord. See how those are two different kinds of people on two different ledgers. Two different kingdoms that they serve. Who are you today? Are you an innkeeper today? Did you come here an innkeeper? Do you want to remain an innkeeper while you're here? Or are you a shepherd? Who are you in the grand scheme of the divide? You know, another thing about this divide is oftentimes pastors can come up to pulpits and just do a miserable job explaining how to know whether you're an innkeeper or a shepherd. They'll create a naughty or nice list. They'll start saying, uh, stating things that you might have done or may not have done. And in that list of legalistic standards, you feel a sense of guilt, and that guilt can be a powerful motivator. I know this personally because I have a black Labrador who often gets into food and stuff that it shouldn't get into, and she has an amazing sense of guilt. And you often can feel moved for a fleeting moment and say, sorry. 
Sadly, it can be effective, and a lot of false churches and false denominations and gospelless churches have effectively used guilt in order to try to call people to the Christmas story. And yet, what is such a breakdown misses is the call of Christmas is in one way far more simple, and yet it's all impossible for a great many to understand and how generous it truly is. Let me say it this way. Do you, know, do you know any Christians that have been murderers? Because I know Christians that have been murderers. Does that sound scandalous to you? Well, if it sounds scandalous to you, I would encourage you to read the book of Acts. I would encourage you to consider the life of the Apostle Paul. To read the man, about the man who would author more books in the New Testament than any others. How about this? Do you know any Christian adulterers? I know Christian adulterers. Actually, God's greatest hymn writer, King David, was a Christian adulterer. And so the Christian message is a reality where if you want to know what the gospel is, you can understand, understand this. It has room for adulterers. Do you know deceivers? Do you know liars and thieves? I know believing liars and thieves. If you don't know about believing liars and thieves, just consider Jacob, whose name, whose very name means deceiver, who eventually would be named Israel and would have 12 tribes follow him. You see... Christianity is something more than just a naughty or nice list. And by the way, just because I gave you biblical names to all those sins, I could give you in churches I've served in all throughout my life. Names of individuals guilty of all these very same sins. And so tonight, the gospel is in one sense a very odd, divisive appeal. It's in one sense me announcing before you all that this church is always willing to embrace another liar, another thief, another murderer, another adulterer in our midst. You're welcome to join us because Christmas means we are a community of sinners coming around the person of Christ. We are all shepherds. We have all gone astray. We all before God stand as filthy in filthy rags, and we are covered in His righteousness, not our own. And yet it happens every so often. I meet somebody in the back of the church, or um, Pastor Bruce can testify to this, other people in this room can testify to this. I'll have people come up to me and they go, I love that message. It's so accepting. It's so universal. I want, to, I want to be baptized. And then I start explaining the fact that Christmas is not just, uh, in one sense, a message of uh, forgiveness of sin, but actually you're, you're calling yourself to fall under the discipline of Christ. Even the very word uh, disciple is that to say, in one sense, I'm falling under the discipline of Christ. And so I have sat with people who at the start of the conversation 
said they wanted to be baptized. And as I explained to them as how God would work in their lives if they're truly of the spirit and how he would begin to work on their sins and work uh, on uh, things that they call good that he does not in his word plainly. I've seen people walk away and say, I want no part in it. I want to be an innkeeper. I don't want to let such a God in who would change me uh, from my sin. I love my sin too much. I do not want the Savior in the manger. So who are you tonight? Which one are you? Dare I say... What such individuals are truly struggling with is the idea of a deep intimacy with God. Do you have a deep intimacy with God tonight, or do you understand that this is just something you got to go through the motions and to get to tomorrow? If you don't have a genuine intimacy with God, why not? You know, if I was discussing uh, marriage relations between a husband and a wife, there would be a healthy amount of questions about and diagnostics about where the couple uh, has intimacy and maybe where they're struggling with intimacy. If I were to meet you in the back of the church and, and ask you about your intimacy with the name of above every name, the king in the manger, your deep love of Jesus today, what would you say in response? Is it a passionate love? Is it an overwhelming kind of love? Is it a sacrificial love? Is it uh, a love filled with desire to display in great ways to intimacy? Or are you here again just going through the motions? Because here is the idea and here is the reality. If you really get what Christmas means, it changes you. It changes you because in him you find a passionate love unlike any other love you can find in the world. Here we come to the awesome reality of this Christmas story. God allows himself to be subjected to the same human frailty that you and I have. Jesus was born into brutal poverty and placed in a feed trough. And the thing is, at the start of God's mortal life, we see rejection, and this rejection was by more than just the innkeeper, and yet it foreshadows an even greater rejection at the end of his mortal life, where he, the sinless one, would be rejected. And it wasn't just, uh, no longer just about an innkeeper that didn't care about his birth, but a great number desired his death. And why did God do this? Why did he come in such mortal weakness? He did it so that those of you who are tired of being weak, who are tired of being overwhelmed with struggles of sin, who are tired of being dissatisfied with the hoagies and the eagles games of this life as all that you live up to, might come to know him and might come to love him above every other thing. To have all your weaknesses be made through strong through his sacrifice. You see, Jesus accepted the rags in the feed trough on that first Christmas so that you and I might believe upon him and receive royal robes. Isaiah tells us of this truth, uh, truth in Scripture, a book he wrote 800 years before the coming of Christ. You can see it in places like Isaiah 53. 
So the God-man began his life in a manger in one sense and allowed himself to be treated like an animal. Now, some of you might think that's dramatic. But that's because you've been so inculcated with the Christmas story that you've been inoculated to the reality of what it's saying. And that's why I included the second passage, the second verse. Because the baby in the manger, the baby in the feed trough, was being treated like an animal on the day he was born. And as Jesus approached John the Baptist in order to be baptized into his ministry, he declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now to every Jewish listener, being called the Lamb of God immediately would have perked their ears. They know the Passover story. They know why the Lamb has to die. The Lamb has to die for their sins. And here John the Baptist, called the greatest from, of those born of women, calls our Lord and Savior the Lamb of God, likens Him to an animal because the reality is the cross was an altar and He was sacrificed and treated as we deserve to be treated like an animal, like something that, whose blood was just worthy to be spilled out, and yet He was perfectly sinless. And His kingdom was perfectly wonderful. And all of the, the, the true announcement of His kingdom is, is an announcement of you were made for more than this. You were made to be more than what Caesar Augustus wants you to be. What this world wants you to be. You need to be part of a better kingdom and a better family. Our Lord, at the end of His life, became the offering. And so when you think of the manger, you think of the baby, the outstretched arms in the trough. Understand that one day that baby's arms would grow into the man, the Savior in whom we worship this day, and His mercy would not be mild. His coming into the to the world is not something with little taste or little flavor, but rather it is the sweetest aroma. It is the sweetest of all offerings. It is the sweetest of all sacrifices. It's why we call it the passion, because he had passionate love for a people that did not love him. Those tiny arms grew into a man that was a sinless man that needed to die, needed to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And God entered into the poverty and filth of this world at Christmas so that through His suffering and sacrifice, we might exchange those rags we cling on to for royal robes that His righteousness provides. He did not come to bring a mild peace on earth, but to bring a true peace between God and humanity through the Messiah. I urge you, don't leave here tonight just admiring the baby in the manger. 
May Christmas the moment you surrender your failures and your weaknesses to the Lord your God and receive new life in Him. Let me be candid for one final moment. Because up until this point, I haven't been candid with you all. <laughs> there are certain ways that this night is the sweetest night in all the worship calendar. It strikes me in a different way from all other days of worship, all other times of worship in the entire calendar. I can't wait for the moment when we dim these lights and we light these candles and we keep the candles away from our hair with hairspray on it and away from everybody else's hair. And we just sing Silent Night together. It's a beautiful moment. But in many ways, it's a troubling time. It's a troubling time because for some of you, you've heard the story another year. And yet, you've already resolved yourself to leave here. He's still an innkeeper. You know, I understand I'm a pastor up here, but I remember when my greatest spiritual struggle was coming to church every week. Don't let Christmas pass by yet again just believing this is some mild holiday. Rather, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. 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 Let us